Welcome, Dr. Amit Sood. I am, had the pleasure of being introduced to you through a protocol I'm experiencing. And I think there are words that seem to be connected to what you do uh, besides doing stress management, resilience, innovator, physician, scientist. You've also uh, been interviewed um, covering topics like why are we so lonely, uh, nine essential skills that make you resilient, and battling burnout. So I hope that gets everybody sort of the scope of what you do, but we are going to learn about the depth of what you do, which totally blew my mind, and it was one of the best experiences I've had in a very long time. So it's such a pleasure to introduce you to my audience. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much for your very kind words. I wish my two teenagers were listening to them. So they'll take me a little more seriously uh, because uh, uh, they call me loser and butler. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah well there is a lot of uh, uh in medicine and uh, otherwise looking at life uh, there is a lot of suffering on the planet and uh it is not that uh, the suffering is all because of nature's uh, unpredictability a lot of this suffering is uh, self created by humans uh, for ourselves and for each other, our connection with the self is often broken. And when the connection with the self is broken, then connection with others and what is our purpose also gets broken. And uh, through my work and research, I realized that a lot of it, actually most of it is not an individual's fault. It is our human disposition. So all I'd like to do is to help people become aware of um, the challenges that their brain faces in the modern world. Yeah, well, um, I I think the, the more we talk, the more uh, everyone will understand the tools that you really make accessible that are brilliant and um, exciting and innovative because I believe the the kind of concept of what you do is ancient in, in practice, but the way you interpret it is incredibly innovative. And I think if if we could talk a little bit about um, the type of you're a physician and a scientist and a researcher and you're you're constantly doing uh, and exploring. So tell us a little bit just about your work and what you do. So we get a little background before we go off into the hinterlands and conversation. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm foremost uh, a husband uh, to my lovely wife, Richa, <laughs> and uh, dad to two princesses. Uh, <laughs> Uh, both teenagers uh, and dad to my dog Simba. So uh, that's my foremost sort of identity. And uh, as a physician, uh, uh, I uh, trained as an internist. Uh, I served as a primary care do doctor and took care of tens of thousands of patients and walked with them uh, on their journey. And uh, along the way, I realized that uh, there is an uh, uh, untreated or unaddressed part of uh, humans, which is our mind. And that needs more innovation, how we uh, help ourselves and how we help people with their mind. So that's what I started researching. And that's what I've been on a journey of for the last 20 years. Uh, to understand the mind, understand the human condition through a variety of disciplines. I, uh, I, I, I of course, uh, study neuroscience and uh, psychology and evolutionary biology and behavioral economics and uh, marketing. Uh, 
uh, a little bit of fashion comes there, but not a whole lot. Uh, but it does come there, and and conventional medical research. So after I, I understood the human condition, and I met with a lot of contemplatives of our times, and read a lot of what people have written over the last few thousand years. Uh, uh, sort of I developed a theme in my head and that theme led to developing a few ideas of how to overcome the current challenges that we are facing. And those skills I started first implementing in my life, uh, in my family and friends and colleagues. And when they worked, we started testing them in clinical trials at Mayo Clinic. And I'm very fortunate that Mayo was uh, open to implement these ideas amongst patients. So we've done now over three dozen clinical trials. And, and eventually, as they say, if you, if you do not keep milk in a glass, it spills, it is of no purpose. So we kept it all in a scaffold called Resilience and created Resilient Option uh, as a program and started offering it to patients and colleagues and uh, uh, you know others in the community. And when people liked it, approached, uh, actually most of it was word of mouth. We we had we connected with a lot of different corporate and law firms and nonprofits and military and. So we we actually uh, help about hundred different organizations uh, implement some of these ideas that I continue to research and refine. Um, uh, you know, twenty years ago when I started uh, on this journey, I was very clumsy, and I um, it was like you know the the cell phone design twenty years ago, and we have uh, listened to people and refined the ideas, and hopefully have a smart phone actually the program is called smart program stress management and resilience training program as we have researched so that's what i do uh, i help people get more mileage from their brain if there is one line uh, that summarizes it all um you know i think there are there's sort of a, a phrase now um that's used um for the kind of thing you do and sometimes um some of the things I do, and it's sort of life hacks. How to how to hack something um, with a new technique or a new approach. So, for me, I I recommend uh, to women, especially when things either relationships go bad or you find out that the person you love is cheating on you, and and you need to kind of take control of who you are and where you're going to go with that. I say buy an outfit that is completely what you thought only certain people could wear because you weren't of that level or change your hair. Or if you wear makeup, don't wear makeup. If you wear too much makeup, wear less makeup. But change your identity, become the superwoman, put on that superwoman outfit and re-identify who you want to be and so that's a fashion hack so in your um and I don't mean to diminish the importance of what you do to fashion but um in in your work what's the first hack um respectfully um that you think seems to work the best for the most amount of people that you, in your discovery of this? Uh, thank you for such a lucid, uh, lucid question. And uh, my response will be self-validation. Um, uh, you may have noticed uh, through your life's journey that, uh, including you, that the good people are very good at feeling bad about themselves. Uh, so if you have felt bad about yourself in the last few weeks, it's a proof that you are a good person. Uh, so we uh, let people who do not believe in us, um, uh, you know, impact our self-worth. We let people, uh, we should not let people who um, shouldn't be in the story of our life, write the title of our story. So when you validate yourself in that, you recognize that uh, a lot of these challenges are not your mistake. They are part of a human condition. Uh, they are 
you know, people, uh, uh, I, first of all, if people are upset with me or reject me, I don't call them upset or rejecting me. I just say they've gotten allergic to me. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so, so you could be allergic to peanuts. That doesn't make peanuts bad. Right. We're just allergic to each other. So we right. avoid each other. So, uh, so do not take it on yourself. Uh, have self compassion, which leads to self-acceptance and self-forgiveness. So having that healthy relationship with yourself, oftentimes uh, when I ask people, uh, and I might trap you in this question, Norma, if I may ask you, who is your best friend? Uh, what would you say? Your first best friend? Um, Marty, for sure. Marty. And that is that is absolutely right. Marty is your second best friend. Ah. Your first best friend is <laughs> me. Me. Exactly. Me. Exactly. <laughs> so I sometimes have people take out their phone, go to the phone, you know, camera, <laughs> swap it, you know, turn it. That's the person who is smiling at you. Right. So, so befriending yourself, believing in yourself, uh, which is how you validate yourself. Yeah. I think that is the first step. Uh, uh, I I would say that just believe in those who who believe in you. Uh, I think we've spent a lot of time believing in those who do not believe in us. Uh, I'm done with that. I I love negative feedback. I use it to improve, but I haven't given now anybody on the planet the power to reduce my self worth. Uh, I, I just have not. And yeah. that doesn't mean I disrespect few people or I'm being not being humble, but it all all it means is uh, I believe I've started believing in the love that is flowing towards me. And I believe in that more than I believe in the the quarters from where no light is coming. Yeah, I, I uh, it's, it's so brilliant because the rarity is actually the generosity of people who show you love it's hard to find that in our culture today because so much is expressed through social media which hides behind a veil where people can behave inappropriately they don't have to be accountable they don't have to have any feelings about it except some expression of anger from something that might have happened a very long time ago. And I think your advice of, of, of going towards the energy of, of, of love is great, but how do you handle the negative energy? You say you reject it and don't allow it in but what are some of the techniques you use to to do that whether it's through social media or uh, in in relationships at work or friendships when things when you start to get allergic to somebody um how do you deal with that like when and when do you know to start dealing with it you might have had a okay relationship and all of a sudden things happen what's your advice yeah i think it's very important to know what not to accept uh because we just feel like oh they will change they will get better so if someone says or does to me something twice that i would never do to them that's my threshold uh and i give people benefit of doubt once i mean unless it's really the first time it's egregious they broke my jawbone with a punch <laughs> right, that's, 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 that's that not one. you know <laughs> but uh if if they do it do it twice because you know the world has 8 billion people if a few people have decided to uh, show they are allergic to you it's not a not a big deal we shouldn't we shouldn't let them occupy a disproportionate real estate in our brain so that's how i that's how that's my sort of threshold and i really connect with people not based on their success or fame it is based on their values and i must say that talking to you in a few minutes i knew that you are a, a person of deep values, um, you know, having uh, having come from um, uh, a very modest background to supporting and enhancing self-worth of 
millions of individuals and and going strong and and like you I never plan to retire so so uh, I think so that is uh, that is so uh, so so that is my threshold first of all now if I do have someone who is allergic to me the first thing I try to remember is will it matter in five years someone who has expressed you know someone Cut, cut across my car on the road or was mm. getting me or use uh, some, you know, expletive, uh, uh, which I actually enjoy when I hear those. Mm -hmm. I was uh, in the cities uh, a few years ago and as I was crossing, someone sent those kind words towards me and I I, I really laughed because I hadn't heard those in, in a while. <laughs> so uh, so will it matter in five years? If, if it won't matter in five years, it's, it's not a good use of my time today. So that's the first thing I think about. The second thing I think about is uh, uh, this line, which has helped me a lot, which is an expression other than love is a call for help. Uh, so if someone is upset, uh, and in this happens a lot in medicine these days, if a patient is upset in front of me, I can say they are upset personally, or I can say they are actually hurting. And uh, maybe they were not hugged enough as a child. Maybe they do not trust. Maybe they have a sick child. Maybe they have financial issues. Maybe they are constipated. I don't know. You know, <laughs> there is a... I personally feel a very good well-being intervention is to increase the amount of soluble fiber in the community. Our <laughs> meetings will go much better. So, so assuming positive intent, knowing that an expression other than love is a call for help. So you do not personalize it. <clears throat> and then the third thing, I have trillions of uh, role models on the planet, and that is all the trees. You know, when you, you keep a tree, if you block sunlight from one side, the tree will bend towards the light. The tree always bends towards the light. But we, you know, if if someone does not like us, we, we just bend towards the darkness. Why is this person not liking me? Instead of thinking about nine other people who love us. So I sort of draw inspiration from the trees as I take a stroll in the evening. And I say, I've, I've got to be like these sages that I see around me. Yeah, I I think um, I, I'm sure everybody is very uh, engrossed in what you're saying now, because with the tension and stress that we have in the world, everybody is a bit hyper and a bit more anxious, and we are all more sensitive and obviously all needing love more and what what are the the what can we do when we feel that somebody that we feel good about and have had good relationships with whether it's at work or friends or whatever even our mates when we see something is happening and that relationship is important it's a relationship we want to see in five years or we like that friendship we we're at work and we spend lots of times in our work family what what's the approach is is bringing up the fact that there is an issue provocative and maybe stimulates an, an, a, a negative response or what would you recommend for wanting to make things right um with people we care about but things aren't comfortable what what suggestion do you have great question uh, and uh, i have had that challenge many many times uh, so uh, the first thing uh, that i like to do is to <clears throat> decrease my what i call er mismatch which is expectation reality mismatch so if if a person has uh, if a volcano has a lot of lava inside their chest, they are going to spew lava. So if somebody is upset, they are hurting. So uh, so that's the reality and that's where it is coming from. So it's best not to personalize it. And it's also best not to say this is going to be forever. 
like you know we had pearl harbor and we had you know the the atom bombs and now japan and us are close trade partners yeah. so so things evolve so having that hope alive that this is just a transient you know situation it will get better i think that is uh, that is extremely important so so that is the uh, that is the first part uh, the second part when uh, you are asking about uh, should we bring it up I think if you tell people you've been off, been cut off late, you know, what are they going to say? No, I've been fine. You know, so I think the best thing what I would like to do is to uh, say that, um, you know, I think there, there's something I'm doing, which is putting negative energy or something I did, which you may not have liked. So talk about I, and I really, really care about our relationship. Mm. I uh, uh, I want to be around together as long as uh, I'm on planet Earth and beyond with you. Uh, so what can I do better? And uh, so don't put pe people in a corner, uh, yeah. so keep them uh Talk, take this about you. Now, the other part, what I found very helpful is if you are struggling with somebody, praise them to a third person. I believe that that energy will eventually reach them. So for example, Norma, if, if I'm not responding to your emails and texts, and so if you feel upset about me and I praise you to Marty and Marty tells, you know, Amit was really praising you. You'll say, hmm, actually it's not, that bad, that bad, yeah. person, you know, <laughs> because, because this is a relationship 101. Most yeah. important line I will ever say, I don't like you for who you are. I like you for how I feel about myself in your presence. So help people that's feel okay. worthy great. in your presence. Yeah. So that's the, 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 the next part of it, you know, removing that expectation reality mismatch um uh, approaching it with an i sort of uh, statement helping them get positive energy uh about your connection with them from other quarters uh, and finally uh, and this is also part of changing the threshold so uh, uh so i i have a particular relationship where i was really struggling i was feeling judged about every little thing and so then, uh, and I didn't like it because I had to spend time with this person and this is one of those relationships I can't walk out of. So I said, okay, let me let me do a thought experiment. I've got severe pain in my belly and this gentleman is at home with me. What will he want? Will he want me to be more in pain or would, would he want me to be pain-free? And the answer I got was, he will want me to be pain-free. What we disagree on are small things. Yeah. And I said, that's it. That's all what I need. I know at core, this person loves me. It is not manifesting in the form of expressions of love because of their predispositions. And I'm just going to lower my expectations. Sometimes you have to say this is a this is an 80 year old in a 50 year old body, and you have to you know uh, optimize your expectations from people. So that's what I do. And I can tell you that in my entire family and friends. Uh, I can't think of anybody who I cannot, you know, pick up the phone and call and have a good conversation. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that we have not had, um, you know, adverse situations in the past. I'll say one last thing. Uh, I had an argument at work many years ago and uh, uh, we kept the phone and I said, oh, this didn't go well. Uh, now, you know, this could become, this could sort of seed a difficult relationship with this person. I called them in like 20 seconds and I said, hey, you know, we had this disagreement, but that doesn't mean we will stop liking each other uh, or we are going to, you know, say hello or you will bless my sneeze. Uh, you will not, you stop blessing my sneeze. And he said, yes, uh, it's just logistical issue. So the point is when you have an argument or difference, patch it as soon as possible yeah. you know the i um the i recommendation i i learned that myself practically uh especially in my business because um my one of the most important jobs i have is to be a good communicator 
if I want to be sure that everybody, we're all following the same goal, we're all in this together, uh, not only as a work family, but also to reach these expectations we have together. And I realized that I, I wasn't getting the results of having everybody come on the path. And I thought, what is going on? What's, what is with that person? Why isn't that person? And I thought, well, it's got to be me because <laughs> I'm, it's my job to make sure everybody's doing it. So I, then I decided to, to say, I realized I'm having a problem communicating and I want to find another way to communicate with you. Um, and I hope I, I'm doing it right. And I want to try again and let me explain it to you in a different way. And, um, and see if it makes sense. And, and it changed so much because it really, sometimes you just automatically think, well, I said that, what, you know, you should know, but then taking the responsibility as well for, um, for things not being exactly the way you think they should be with another person uh, is really important. And I realized when you have a company everybody is is there to do something together and if it's not happening and i'm the lead who am i gonna who hello who am i gonna blame who's it's i'm looking it's me i have to i have to so i use i a lot in that way and it and it really is such a great uh lesson and 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 i i'm just expressing that I use it and I see good results because that's such a great word of advice. One of the, the things that when we talk about these relationships, we have um, in through my career, I've had so many women uh, in my companies. It's a fashion company. The nature of it is conducive to lots of women. And there's the um, desire uh, and, and, and this is decades and decades of generations and generations of young women believing that by the time they're 30, they have to have found their soulmate and that they're going to get married and that they're going to have kids and that they're doing everything on a schedule that life has predicted. And maybe there's pressure from their parents, maybe not, but the anxiety as they get towards 30 builds and builds and builds. And sometimes in the desire to meet this expectation, they pick mates or possible mates who don't deserve them. Literally, the, they don't deserve that person and they make these choices. And I think women especially have this proclivity to pick mates that are not worthy of them and how do you like how to how to I tell them that like he doesn't deserve you and like that's not enough obviously I'm a designer I'm not a therapist but what's your take on that because we need some real advice in this area so it is so the question is if someone is in a relationship that is not satisfying or healthy or appropriate what should they do what can they do yeah so it's I, yeah so yeah so i you know we we see that um fairly frequently actually and uh the first question which is a fork in the road i ask them do you see yourself as an 85 year old sitting on a bench by the ocean holding this person's hand and uh, you know um uh, traveling to the light with this person? If the answer is yes, then we walk towards healing. And uh, we, you know, I'll tell you something, uh, Norma, that Marty is most likely not gonna load the dishwasher exactly as you like. And that's just <laughs> the way life is. So <laughs> please do not get upset about how they load the dishwasher or how they throw socks on the floor or things that, 
time can destroy. Focus on the values that time cannot destroy. Right. Do they care about you? Do they love you? Um, uh, do they have high integrity? Do they have compassion? Are they grateful? Uh, do they appreciate the little things uh, and ex express their love? Uh, so that's uh, so. So if they see themselves together, then you walk towards healing. If they do not see themselves together, uh, and then there is two situations, either they have somebody or they do not have somebody right now. And then depending on that situation, um, I was actually recently talking to somebody who was exactly in this situation and they had somebody. And uh, basically uh, the, the idea is um, uh, saying, uh, you always say yes in life, I believe, but sometimes that yes is no because you're saying yes to yourself. And uh, and and so you, you're saying yes to somebody and that somebody is you at times. And one thing is a, a large body of research shows that if you're dragging in a relationship, uh, it's going to inflame your body and their body too and predispose you to heart disease and stroke and cancer and even early mortality. So you're not doing service to either of the two. Now, the thing is, if you have to separate, you, you do with great respect, grace, maintain friendship. Uh, if you have children with this person, then there is that bond that will continue. So, uh, but, you know, you, 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 you sort of, you make that decision. If you have somebody now, if you already have somebody uh, and you, you want to break, then you're not being fair to that person who is waiting for you. So, so having that complex thinking, uh, you know, in your head and certainly taking somebody's help through this decision process, because sometimes you may not be able to see things as clearly given the biases we all carry. So I think, but no matter what, uh, uh, preserve your compassion for the person who is not being nice to you. Because uh, if you get angry at them in, in that you get that rage at them, you're giving them the power to increase your risk of heart attack, stroke, and dementia. And do you want to give that power to anybody on the planet? You do not. So in many situations, when people are separating, uh, I actually advise, and I've seen both the partners actually separately, I've invited them to preserve their compassion. Because you can you can, you can can say no, you can separate, you can even sue the other person, yet remain compassionate towards them. Uh, because when you are compassionate towards them, you are being compassionate to yourself. In fact, I share with trial attorneys to be compassionate towards the opposite team, because when you're compassionate, your emotions are in your control. Mm -hmm. And so then you can make a more effective argument. Um, I, that was really good advice. I'm, I'm going to go back a little bit because um, so there's, I, I believe that not just women, I think many people pick partners because they don't want to be lonely or they for for a lot of reasons and and they're and they know that they're taking second place or not the quite the level, but they pick people and and uh, one of the and one of the things that um i i want to tell you about is there's a movie called bridesmaids i am positive you did not see it in fact i'm sure you did not see it it's a a movie that a lot of girls have seen and it's a fantastic movie because it really has a lot of depth it's a comedy it's sort of a lighthearted but in it there is deep stories and one of them is this scene and John Hamm who is who at the time was extremely handsome and very charming uh, was just betting as many women as he could and not really being very respectful actually disrespectful and charming at the same time and he, there was this girl who was crazy about him, but, and she knew that he was using her, but he, she decided in her mind that sooner or later, 
he would, every time he came to have sex with her, sooner or later, she would win him over and he would fall in love with her. And so I remember at the time I had a campaign about the objectification of women and for women to, un to sort of realize that we objectify ourselves more than other people do. And I would bring up in all of these meetings, this scene in the movie, and I would say, has this ever happened with you? And because when I saw the movie, I said, oh my God, I think I've done that myself. And every woman of all ages, including an 82-year-old woman that was part of a, a talk we did, everyone, every single one said they allowed someone to objectify them mm -hmm. for the idea that they would soon enough, sooner or later, win them over, and they were just being taken advantage of. And so... That kind of relationship that obviously has so much to do with self, why is that so pervasive? I mean, every woman, and this is thousands and thousands of women that I, I ask that same question. And it happens. It happens and it keeps happening. So, and I'm sure it's not just women, by the way. I think that they're, it goes both ways, but I think women tend to be a little bit more anxious about this urge, sense of urgency to kind of win over the guy that they're going to spend the rest of their lives with. But why does that happen? So there is a number of reasons. Um, and yes, it is common. And uh, one is a, a sense of insecurity. Uh, the other is, uh, so we have this area in the brain called the reward network. Reward network is the pleasure area of the brain. So you see a good friend, your reward network lights up. That's the final common pathway. Now, when you uh, see somebody and like somebody, uh, their presence, their thought, their words activate your reward network. And over a period of time, uh, the uh, the reward network activation becomes so strong that the thought of that person not being in your life, it, it is extremely painful and it feels like cocaine withdrawal. Mm -hmm. Actually, in MRI studies, brain of cocaine withdrawal and brain of broken relationships, they'll both look exactly the same. Oh my God. That's a good one. That's yeah. a good one. So, so they develop a little bit of an addiction and people yeah. leverage that. And, uh, and so your identity completely becomes invested in being liked by this person. So even though uh, rationality tells you otherwise that people do not change, uh, their brain's biology is not going to get transformed overnight unless something really amazing happens to them, uh, you know, but you still keep hoping because very much like uh, someone who is craving a substance, you crave the presence of that person. And, 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 and those people are also obliging, you know, uh, you know, they, they, they leverage that, you know, subconsciously or consciously. So people fall into that trap because of uh, the biology of their brain. And, um, uh, and and by the time they wake up, sometimes it's uh, it's a little bit late. Uh, now, uh, I think uh, there is a there's an old uh, saying uh, which is very relevant now, God give me patience, but please <laughs> hurry up. You know <laughs> I have found one thing that I really uh, use to develop relationships, and that is values. Uh, I, you know, we, we all go, you know, we all care about looks and success and all those things. But the most important thing that you can use to connect with people is aligned values. If the values are not aligned, it's not going to work out eventually. 
because if they are flamboyant and you know they want to spread their genes to 20 different people while you want to be a you know focusing on just one home and all it is less likely it's going to work out eventually that disposition will take over and one of the reasons uh, that is because uh, uh, I have been married 31 years now to my lovely wife and uh, uh, I realized that after 10, 12 years of being together, partners become borderline boring. And uh, there is this whole uh, hormonal uh, science around love that it starts with sex hormones, then it moves to dopamine, which is craving each other. And that dopamine has to move to oxytocin, which is bonding, which is nurturing, which is compassion, which is raising babies together. So so unless that dopamine gets converted to oxytocin, that nurturing relationship will not happen. It will break because novelty fades after some time. So, so if somebody is pure dopamine driven while you are seeking oxytocin, <laughs> you know, you, 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 you start with dopamine and then you very quickly move to oxytocin. And uh, oxytocin is, is literally the hormone of bonding. And we need much more of oxytocin in our, in our society. Yeah, I think values is really, really going to that. And uh, our childhood, our experiences are so embedded in who we are that if we don't recognize that as a part of how we believe and how we behave, uh, and not all of it is perfect, clearly. There's a lot of childhood experiences that help us grow. But um, but even through that, picking the right people. One question that, um, that I think people think a lot about, too, is, like you said, so now you uh, are with someone and it's not a happy uh, situation and you don't want to be arguing and angry all the time. And, um, and a lot of people just sort of hang in and stay and, and just don't want to rock the boat and let the status quo. And in, in my uh, marriage, I got married at 19 which was way too young, but um, as the years went by and we grew very much apart, we were still in business together. And before I uh, knew it, it, he was dating our sales girls and um, being just outrageously disrespectful, but I loved my work and I love designing and I just hung in and uh and then I realized um that I I didn't know how to get out of it because I I only had $98 in the bank and that was part of the way for him to keep me and I just was so stuck and I and of course some women could tell you they have children and it's hard to get out and so my situation was not as dramatic as having children, but I didn't know how I would leave what I loved, but what was also giving me incredible pain and humiliation. Um, and it wasn't until the sales girl that he was dating that I was firing and he was rehiring and he was buying watches and all kinds of things for, um, came to me and said, I am going to be designing now and I would like you to make the following pieces. And that was it. So I just picked up my things and I walked out. But I think it takes this dramatic event when you're in that I can't get out I'm stuck I can't get out I'm stuck these dramatic events I thank this girl over and over and over as painful as it was to look at her telling me this if she didn't do that 
what would have happened? Would I have stayed because it was painful, but I was still getting joy out of what I was doing? I would not have been anywhere near where I am now had I not had that horrific experience. So she, to me, really, really did me one of the biggest favors for my career ever. So hadn't that the situation where you're stuck in a relationship, you're held in it and you want to get out, but it takes something so dramatic to force you out? Or how do you do it without something so dramatic? Yeah, uh, she was the final factor. You know, there is uh, oftentimes in life, there is a final factor. Uh, she was not the only factor. Uh, there was a buildup and then there was this final factor mm -hmm. that broke the camel's back, you know. Uh, now, uh, you know, you, uh, I think, uh, and that's where a bit of loneliness comes because if you have only one egg in your basket, if you have nurtured one relationship and this person is the only person who you can look up to for support, then you certainly, I mean, it's a flip of a, not flip of a coin, but still it's quite risky. And particularly if you're not financially independent and do not have your job. So I actually personally feel, you know, having two daughters, um, uh, I think it's very important for women uh, and everybody <clears throat> to be financially independent. Um, so that is that should not be part of negotiation. Um, you know, when you were challenged, that was many, many decades ago, but it shouldn't happen in 2023. The second part is social uh, independence. Uh, so having a network of friends uh, and loved ones and colleagues who support you uh, and who you connect with. So investing in that kind of social connection, uh, that is very important to have that tribe, uh, you know, that uh, is almost your mirror because you can you, you you can you can talk to them you can learn from them you can uh, recognize that you're being mistreated uh, early enough uh, because many times we just feel like oh this is okay oh this is fine oh this will get better so having that financial independence occupational independence social independence having a strong sense of uh, self respect and grace you know, I think uh, uh, nobody should be allowed to take advantage of us, uh, men or women. Uh, there is, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm talking to and supporting a, a, a friend who is going through a very difficult situation where her husband is a very influential mm -hmm. gentleman and uh, influential person. I should have said gentleman because he's not as gentle. <laughs> and uh, uh, and then she feels guilty because, you know, she's uh, so. Uh, so I think the the idea that really resonates with her and she feels like, oh, maybe I should have lingered, even though he has philandered and continues to do so. I said, tell me this. Will you respect yourself when you are? again, 85 year old and look at your 50 year old self and say, I let this happen to me. Um, will you will you feel uh, it a matter of pride that you still slept in the same bed? And she said, absolutely not. You know, I'm a competent, financially successful person who is uh, very, very well, well respected in what she does. I'm a specialist in this. How can I let that happen to me? And what would your daughter think? Uh, and what would your son think? Because you're being a role model. I mean, she had had boom, has had weak moments. And then we talk about that. Actually, she's being a role model for her children and other extended family. So having that sense of self-respect is also very important. And I think, you know, there's two lives we live, Norma. We live a superficial life, which is uh, the, the material world, which is our successes, our relationships. And we have a deeper journey, which is our, I feel, spiritual journey, where who are we becoming as a person? 
Uh, and if you if you succeed superficially and fail at the deeper level, you have failed. And if you succeed at the deeper level, even if at the superficial level you're not that successful, you have succeeded. So I think I think developing into a person who you respect, who you admire, who could be your role model, I think that is true success. And that's what we should strive for. Now, if the world agrees with that, if the world supports your spiritual journey, I'll stay with that world. If the world does not support my spiritual journey, does not allow self-respect and self-worth and uh, is a role model of who I want to be, then I'm going to divorce that world and I'll find a different world. Uh, and even if I don't find a different world, that's it. That's okay. I'm complete in myself. Why do I, you know, feeling complete in yourself is is, is equally important. So that's what I, I feel. Emotional independence, financial independence, social independence, uh, spiritual direction, thinking about being a role model. I think those should be the drivers and spending time with connecting with people whose values you admire. The um, age group of 19 to 29, which was my experience, I was 19 and then left when I was 29. So that age, you know, you can have a tribe and you can have friends, but it's a lot of inexperience in that tribe, right? Yeah. So where does somebody in that age group, because that age group is so uh, overwhelmed and stressed and right now more than ever, yeah. I think experiencing um, whether it's uh, COVID interfering with discovery, self-discovery, relationship discovery, that 19 to 29, when they uh, meet in, come into one of these experiences, their tribe is as inexperienced as they are. And if they don't have, or they're too embarrassed to communicate with their parents, or because they did something stupid to put them in that relationship, like sleep with John Hamm 20 times, knowing he's not gonna he's not gonna want you. Like yeah. how who did who do they go to for advice? Like what how what would you tell them if they felt like they were too embarrassed to tell their parents or an aunt or somebody like that? What and and their friends are no more knowledgeable than they are. What 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 are some ideas you have for reaching out for advice? Yeah, uh, uh, I think um, uh, I know you said that they are not comfortable with their parents, but I I feel uh, as a as a parent as a dad that is my first responsibility, and uh, both my daughters they know that um, no matter what they have said or done. Uh, I'll always be on their side wanting their good and they can come and talk to me. I think the the, the most uh, gratifying words I've ever heard in my life so far, the two most gratifying words I have heard. One was from a patient uh, when I was leaving a practice and coming to Mayo Clinic. Uh, she said, why are you leaving? I wanted to die by your side. Ah. So that was <laughs> oh my God. I remember her. I remember that moment. I'll never forget in my life. That's and the second words were by my then 18-year-old. She's 19 now. And she said, Dad, you understand me. And ah. To me, that was a very deep expression. So uh, I think I think the first and foremost is foremost is is our close loved ones, uh, and you probably have someone in your life uh, who is uh, wise, who you can trust. They could be your uncle, they could be your friend's mom or friend's dad. They could have been your previous teacher who you who really believed in you. Uh, they could be the priest. Uh, they could be your soccer coach. Uh, someone who you know you can trust with values. Uh, and they uh, can be a good person. And there are some 25-year-olds who are, you know, mature like they are 50, you know. So that's where you... you you want to go, there is definitely the refuge of good books. There are many good books. Uh, and uh, I, I 
I will not be able to specifically refer to you right now which book, but there are several good books around emotional intelligence and how to develop self-worth. Um, and then there are professional coaches. Uh, there are, uh, and these days, you know, there's resilience coaches. Um, uh, people can turn to podcasts and other material like like the one that, you know, you are creating. People with good intentions create. Um, uh, and then there are, of course, retreats. There are uh, self-help community programs. But in general, uh, I think uh, people, first of all, shy away from, I think, taking professional help uh, uh, and, and feel like it's a stigma. No, I, I think everybody should have somebody they can trust uh, who they can go to. Now, uh, uh, I, I had started by saying that uh, good people are very good at feeling bad about themselves. And if you have felt bad about yourself, it's a proof that you are a good person because bad people don't feel bad about themselves. So, and again, I've shared this with my, my two daughters uh, that, uh, you know, one is 19, the other is 13, that things will get better. Uh, uh, it breaks your heart every time you see a young one trying to hurt themselves because our brain matures by age 25. Uh, some people now think, some researchers, that it matures really by age 30. Wow. So if you're having a temper tantrum, if you're overreacting to something, uh, it's expected. It is part of your brain's design. And I promise you things will get, get better. As each each additional six months, you know, from age 20 to 30, you get so much more mature and so much more mature. Mm -hmm. uh, because at that age, at age 19, 20, your reward network of the brain is super sensitive. Your negative emotions of the brain, uh, area of the brain, amygdala is super sensitive. Yeah. While the rational brain, it is still a work in progress. It is still under construction. Yeah. That's how, don't blame yourself if you overreacted. Don't blame yourself if you made a stupid decision. It is just because the brain is a work in progress. Yeah, it's a process for sure. It's a process, yeah. How, so, what about resilience, resilience training, and and talk about that? So, um, and 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 how that works. I think that's a, this is a really good time to to talk about that. Sure. So, uh, so I am quite dissatisfied with the uh, current uh, state of human brain, and I feel that our brain needs an upgrade uh, because uh, it's it's almost like if you were walking around lifting 150 pounds all day long, there will be a lot of back clinics to help you. But humans are walking with 150 pounds of weight in their brain, cognitive and emotional load. Uh, so resilience training is helping, first of all, people becoming uh, become aware of the kind of load their brain is taking, it has to lift, and becoming aware of uh, why the brain is not able to lift the load. It's partly because we are constantly mind-wandering. You know, if you have uh, walked into a room with no idea why you came there, or if you cannot remember your grocery list, and a lot of a lot of people these days feel like they have early age dementia. If you feel your memory is failing you, it's part of the brain's design. And then the negativity bias, uh, we focus on the negative more than the positive. You're rising, you're you're laying on a petal of flowers. The one thorn that is sticking in the skin that'll feel much more. And our brain also gets tired every sixty to ninety minutes. Um, if it is not getting uplifting emotions or motivation. So that awareness piece is important. The second piece that is important is attention. Your attention is where you focus. So it's it's almost like when you go to a restaurant, you've got 400 items on the menu, but your dinner is decided by what's on your table. You're, you know, that's what matters. That's what your attention does. It picks from all the menu items in the life to make what is reality, which is what is on your table. And now what humans do is we pick the most negative. You know, I like it's almost like when you go to a restaurant, you will say, 
you know, I want the yuckiest item here, something that I'm allergic to. You know, give me something that'll make me really sick. That's what <laughs> I want to think about. <laughs> That's what we do. So training attention helps you shift to what is most most nurturing. So that's the second part. So awareness, attention, and third part is mindset. How do I reframe my thinking? Can I focus on what went right within what went wrong? Can I focus on an expression other than love is a call for help? Or can I focus on, I'm not going to let someone who shouldn't be in the story of my life write the title of my story. So shifting your mindset or attitude. So awareness, attention, attitude. So that is uh, resilience training, which you know, we have developed a program we offer, it's called Resilient Option. Um, and, and certainly you can you can look for that if you wish. But, um, and so we have done multiple clinical trials with that. What we try to do is uh, offer a, a customized uh, approach to people, uh, combining science and stories and a little bit of humor and translating that into practices skills that people can implement in daily life. For example, the first person I think about when I wake up is my wife. She may be sleeping by my side and I wake up sending her a silent gratitude. And that has completely changed how we meet in the morning. I try to meet at least one person every day as if I haven't seen them for a month uh, so, that, uh, so that there's uplifting connection. Personally, I try to silently bless every person I'm meeting so that I'm not judging people. I'm actually uplifted by every meeting, every connection and a number of such ideas uh, that, you know, we, it's almost like the tea is very bitter. Uh, the tea of life. Uh, there is so much negativity in the world, but I don't want to throw this tea uh, I want to drink this tea. So what do I do? I put some honey in it. And that honey is that of principles. Uh, and it's resilience that helps you pour that honey into that bitter tea. Um, I, I would like to include when in this, uh, after the podcast, some information about the resilience uh, opportunity that you talked about for people who might be interested. And, and I, I have one last, last uh, question to ask. So if you can go about your incredible business, it's in our conversation, um, you gave me the best wedding gift I will ever have. And uh, it was a gratitude. And in this podcast, we talked a lot about relationships obviously first with ourselves and then relationships and different manifestations in our lives. Is there a gratitude or something that you would like to close this podcast with? Absolutely. And uh, with your permission, we can do that two minute gratitude meditation. I would together. love it. I would love yeah, it. If that's okay with you. And this is uh thinking about one person in your life who you really care about and bringing them in your thoughts. And uh, I know you'll think about Marty. I'll think about my wife, Richa. And for those who are listening, if you can think about uh, or watching, think about one person who you really care about and bring them into this practice. So I invite you to close your eyes, assuming you are at someplace safe. So imagine you are waking up in the morning. Try to recall the color of the floor where you woke up. And start a practice of deep, slow, diaphragmatic breathing. Now think about one person in your life who matters a lot to you, someone you deeply care about. Recall that person's smiling face. 
Now travel back in time and go to the first memory of this person, the first time you met them. Any details you can recall. Look at the childhood picture of this person, particularly one where they looked a little naughty. Notice their hairstyle at that time. Now travel forward in time and imagine you're sitting with this person by a beach on a bench, holding hands, talking about life. You are in the ninth decade of your life healthy and strong. Look into the eyes of this person and notice the color of their eyes at this moment. Send them a silent gratitude for being in your life. Give them a virtual hug and hold that hug for five seconds. When you are ready, you can open your eyes. That is so amazing. And I'm so happy we were able to share it. And I'm giving you a big virtual hug. And thanking you so much for this. I, I know everybody's going to want you to come back. So I'm just telling you, I'll probably be stalking you again soon. <laughs> you, you, you're just amazing. You're an extraordinary man. And your teenage daughters are very lucky to have you as a dad. And so is your wife. So we appreciate this so much. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Have oh, a lovely you, day. Norma. I absolutely. The feeling is mutual in every way. And um, I, I wish you a, a beautiful future with Marty and thank you um, with all your uh, all your phenomenal work. You enhance people's self-worth in amazing ways more than you perhaps know. And I look forward to uh staying uh you know in touch and come again and uh, uh love your friendship thank you thank so much. you so much thank you have a great day you too bye-bye